pediatric speech-language pathologist, and welcome to Teach Me to Talk, the podcast. Today, we're continuing our summer intelligibility series with show number 379, and we are going to be talking about the fourth and fifth priority pattern that we are working on when we are addressing speech intelligibility in toddlers. If you missed the previous shows, you may feel like this is a little bit disjointed, so I would highly, highly recommend that you go back and listen, especially to the last few shows. In 378, the show just prior to this, we reviewed vowels and initial consonants and the strategies that are developmentally appropriate for targeting those in toddlers who don't use correct vowels or who don't use the correct initial consonant sounding words. And then we talked about the first pattern syllableness in show 377 and gave a big overview. So if you're kind of coming in mid-series and you think, I don't want to go all the way back to the beginning to 373, which is what you really should do <laughs> when we're talking about speech intelligibility with toddlers. But if you want to pick it up at show 377 and then follow on through, you can. Let me address kind of one more uh, issue here that I've started to get some emails about. And so I wanted to make sure that I mention this here on the podcast. Now, we offer the podcast two different ways. There's a video version if you're watching on YouTube. And there's also the old way, the way that we've had since 2008 here at teachmetotalk.com. And that's listening with Blog Talk Radio or you probably get it on iTunes or however you choose to uh, receive the podcast that you subscribe to or that you regularly listen to. You can still get CE credit for this course even if you're just listening. It doesn't have to be watching the video version. So I've gotten several questions about that. (coughs) Excuse me. Several questions about that in the last week. So I wanted to make that really, really clear, especially for longtime podcast listeners, because I'm probably, or I hope I'm one of your habits. <laughs> you might listen as you drive to and from children's appointments. And oh my goodness, that's, that time is so near and dear to my heart because I did that for 10, 10 to 15 years with when I did home visits all day, every day. And so you need something to kind of keep you going and pump you up. So if that's you, you can still get CE credit for this. You'll just need to go to teachmetotalk.com and then the the premier spot <laughs> it, it includes the information about how to get CE credit and even if it says watch the video you're covered because you've already listened to the show so I wanted to make sure to mention that since there have been so many questions all right so We talked about the six priority patterns, and let me mention again, the reason that we do that is you cannot use the same strategies or the same approaches with toddlers when you're working on speech intelligibility that you do with older preschool children. And if you are a speech language pathologist, you certainly know about a phonological approach that uh, Hudson and Padson really pioneered. And if you are a preschool speech language pathologist, you are probably well-versed in that. And actually, I've gotten several emails about those kinds of things too, where therapists are saying, when do you work on this or when do you work on that? Let me just say, this is what I work on. This, (laughs) these six patterns. And again, it may be a little bit different. You may call it pre-vocalic voicing or de-voicing or whatever your terminology is. I don't even do that really with the little friends that I see because I primarily work with children who are still in that toddler developmental range. So even if I'm seeing a five-year-old, which again is really old for Laura, (laughs) I'm still keeping it right here because I'm a language, language, language therapist. And so speech intelligibility for me is sort of icing on the cake, unless the kid is apraxic, but then I'm sort of doing, I'm doing this, but I'm doing some other things and may have some other considerations. But if you're wondering when I work on this or when I work on that, I probably, I might not. I, I work on this. These are my six patterns because this is what I found is most effective for children who are still in this toddler and early preschool, a developmental age range. And again, I, I just never really see anybody for straight artic. It would have to be a motor planning problem with a kid with apraxia, but mostly I deal with children with language problems. See lots of kids with autism and write a lot about autism. And so we are not really too concerned with that yet because we want 
want to make sure that they are communicating. And remember the overriding message that I tried to share in the first couple of segments or, or uh, in this series is what a kid says is always more important than how he says it. And that really just speaks to my heart there in, in being a language therapist. And so I'm always thinking about that. And that's always my priority. So I wanted to mention that. Okay, so today we are picking up here with the fourth priority pattern. And this is variety of syllable shapes. So when should toddlers work on, or when should we prioritize working on making sure that a toddler has a variety of syllable shapes? Well, first of all, this is when they don't use a variety of syllable shapes in words. And why is that important? Because it, it, then it makes what they say, all their words or all their word attempts sound alike. So if they are just really, really super limited in their syllable shapes, they may just have one or two. They may just be able to say only vowels, and then they might have, uh, say, a consonant vowel. That's, that's all they can do. They only have two syllable shapes. And, and they, their parents may come and say to you as a therapist, my child has 75 words. And then you're sitting listening going, what? It all kind of sounds the same to me. And unless you have context, unless you are really into what he's doing and you know exactly what you're playing with and exactly what he's talking about, and you have, if you're a parent, you have that prior knowledge so you can kind of figure that out, but the rest of the world can't. <laughs> and so sometimes, again, this is the pattern that's really, really negatively affecting a child's intelligibility. So that's why it's so important. Uh, toddlers don't need to work on a variety of syllable shapes when they use more than three or four different patterns. And we know that gets them to the point where they are approaching that uh, developmental uh, milestone that they would be, that would be appropriate. The milestone here is toddlers usually use four to five different uh, syllable shapes. And then when the other thing is when children, the reason that you would not need to work on a variety of syllable shapes with this one, when kids don't use two and three syllable words, it's not that they don't need the help. It's that they ha th th this would be too hard for them. So you can't work on a variety of syllable shapes until a child can produce the multisyllabic words. And so if you have a kid who, again, is just saying, like we talked about before, who just has a consonant, vowel, uh, syllable shape is his primary pattern or vowels they mostly say something like uh or duh <laughs> or my or uh da and that that's primarily it you can't start here you've got to go back and work on syllableness first and make sure that they really can include that and also this pattern also affects language development expressive language development because when children, especially with pattern number five, when they can't switch the vowel from syllable to syllable and when they have words that sound the same when they're trying to do phrases and when you hear a single word that sounds pretty close but then it falls apart when it gets to the phrase level or especially more than a couple of words when they're trying to do a three or four word phrase or a, a couple of words that have, again, their multisyllabic words within that phrase, when they can't change the vowel from syllable to syllable, and then they do simplify and kind of go back to that really limited repertoire of syllable shapes, that's another time that we would need to think about, aha, this is the real reason that this child is unintelligible. And that's really hard for parents to pick out on their own. So if you're a parent and you're thinking, I sort of understand what she's thinking about, and that may be what's going on with my child. Please, please, please get your child evaluated and get some help. This is what speech-language pathologists specialize in, especially uh, SLPs who focus on preschoolers because they are well-versed in highly unintelligible children and picking out exactly what, what's gone wrong. So you may never have seen an SLP before with your child because language is moving right along, and you don't... Your only concern is we don't understand what he's saying. Get with an SLP and, and really rely on their expertise to help you decide which of these patterns you should be targeting at home and have that child in therapy so that you can get some help. All right, so we're back here with variety of syllable shapes. 
So how do we figure this out? How do we know if a child is using a variety of syllable shapes? And so the SLP way is we do phonetic transcription, meaning that we listen to what a child says and then we record it. And as a parent, it's not what we know he intended to say. We record it as the child actually said it. So what you would do is if the, the example that's here in my book, it's functional phonology, is where all of this information is pulled from. And you can get information about that if you're watching on YouTube in the post below. If you're listening to the podcast, it's at teachmetotalk.com where all our products are sold and uh, Scroll down to the products section there and you'll see functional phonology. It's my newest therapy manual. It was released last fall and it's all about targeting speech intelligibility and toddlers using a language-based approach. All right, so the example that I use in the manual for helping a parent decide how a child, if a child produces a variety of syllable shapes is we take how he says the word. So if he says the word like, if he says the word like milk and he just says meh for milk, which is, or meh for milk, however he would say it, you can't write it and then you transcribe it. So you would write, if you're a parent, the M and then an I, if you think he's really close to that milk or if he does meh for milk, which is what happened when I was writing this book, had a little guy who said that. You would write it that way, and so then you, you analyze it then. You, you write out the words, and you get how, you put the sounds in as best you can, and you also divide it into syllables, because that's primarily what we're talking about. And then you go back, and you assign all the consonants a C, and all the vowels a V. <laughs> and then you're looking at the different combinations of the words that the child pronounces. And so again, it's a little bit technical for a parent who's trying to do this. And that's why I always advise getting help from your therapist, but you can do it. And I have certainly had parents of children on my caseload that I walk into them and they're handing me, you know, a beautifully <laughs> phonetically transcribed vocabulary list. You know, I, I can't believe a mom who's not an SLP would do that, but I've had moms do that. And so you're able to do this and you're able to figure this out, but, but therapists can really, really help you. And so again, what you do once you get that is you start looking at what these syllable shapes are. And let's just review the most common syllable shapes. And I told you that toddlers with typically developing speech sound skills have four or five different syllable shapes. And that would be consonant vowel, so earliest pattern, usually like by or no. Vowel consonant, another early pattern for words like up or in. The vowel comes first and the consonant comes second. Lots of kids don't uh, get that until they're two or actually even sometimes closer to three because final consonants come in a little bit later, but that's a predominant pattern. I didn't mention just a vowel only, but a lot of words like I are a vowel. Um, words like... Uh, uh, you, those kinds of words, words where it's just primarily, that's not a great example, but that would be more like a vowel, vowel. But sometimes, sometimes children are just, if you were, especially if you were transcribing what a child says and he omits consonants, you, you need to know that that is a syllable shape that you would consider. And that is one that you would count because it would be different than another syllable shape that he's saying. Uh, so, and then we have, so those would be three already. And then we have consonant, vowel, consonant, vowel. And that's a very early pattern where the same consonant and the same vowel are just repeated for the second syllable. So those are words like dada and mama and bye-bye. And then we would, you might have a child, and we're going to talk about this today, who would change uh, primarily the vowel sound in the next syllable. So when if he didn't say mama, he said mommy, or didn't say dada, he said daddy. That's still a consonant vowel, consonant vowel, but speech language pathologists would put a subscript there and have the first vowel as a V1 and the second vowel as a V2, meaning that it's a different vowel sound. And even though there are two consonants and two vowels, CV, CV, it's still a different syllable shape because he's changed that vowel there. And again, that most of our words are going to fall in kind of that varying complexity 
pattern there that would be pattern number one two three four five and then of course constant vowel consonant and if you listen to the last show when we were talking about the initial consonants I commented that that's the most common pattern found in English so super super important pattern for toddlers to master because it so highly contributes to intelligibility or our ability to understand that so there are many more patterns that we can include but these are the primary ones and so again what we're looking for here isn't that a child has one or two words from every category that that's great but what you're really really looking for again is variety so that a toddler is using different kinds of words different syllable constructions because again that's what makes you able to understand him when he gets more of the right sounds in the right places and remember we've talked about too that we're not going for adult sounding speech here with toddlers that's completely unrealistic we're not going for perfection we just want to be sure that they are moving closer and closer to what would be developmentally appropriate so how other toddlers and other children their same age would also pronounce the word and let me say one other thing that I think I forgot to mention on this show but it's so important simplification is what all toddlers do as they're learning how to talk so when a word is really really phonetically complex when you have words that have several different consonants strung together a word like street with str at the beginning it is so normal for a child to make that word simpler and say eat for street or teat for street or seat for street and leave out some of those consonants because str would just be too hard of a combination and so again i love it when we see kids trying to pronounce words and produce words when even if every sound is not there because they are compensating and even though we hear simplification we know that's normal and and kids with typically developing uh, speech skills do that as well so I wanted to be sure to mention that all right let's talk a little bit about um, the diagnostic information that we can get from noticing or or paying attention to the variety of syllable shapes mainly can a kid do it or not do it and kids with the four major diagnoses that uh, cause or that are are result in unintelligible speech or or difficult to understand speech for toddlers all kind of have different presentations here and you can get some pretty good diagnostic information uh, by thinking about this kids with apraxia or a motor speech disorder as a planning a motor planning disorder meaning that they have the word here but it's it misfires by the time that that they produce it there it, they will say the, the a word their words in error may sound different every single time they try until that word is stabilized and so when we have kids that produce the same word again a lot of different ways that's when we sort of start to lean toward apraxia or at least that's on our radar is what the the reason or the diagnosis is that's causing the speech intelligibility problem kids with dysarthria have difficulty being understood primarily due to their musculature differences so their lower muscle tone or their higher muscle tone so their words will sound the same virtually every time they say it <clears throat> excuse me and the same thing with phonological uh, air disorders kids with phonological disorders also don't make the kinds of errors where every time they try to say one word the same word that it's pronounced a lot of different ways and so that uh, will also be a clue so when you have words a kid has a stable production of it he says it wrong the same way every time he says it versus a kid who's who's trying to say candy I've used this example because I'm seeing a sweet little boy right now who pronounces candy dida unless I'm really cueing him and that's that's a really odd unusual way to pronounce candy but it is stable he says it that way every single time he says it so when with apraxic kids with motor planning kids that same kind of kid might ha have said candy you know three or four different ways without cues again this would be spontaneously and so that that's kind of how we know so we do get some diagnostic information by listening to how um, consistent their errors are and then sort of thinking about it that way so I wanted to mention that as well alright so we already talked about how we're going to determine if a toddler produces a variety of syllable shapes so we know if we need to work on this or not and remember we were going to go 
the typical pattern is four or five different syllable shapes by the time a child is three. And uh, so we know that if we have less than that, if, especially if a kid's just using a couple of different syllable shapes, this is exactly what we need to be working on. So let me give you some treatment tips where to start when you uh, realize that this should be one of your primary goals for targeting speech intelligibility in toddlers. Now, I get my best success, especially with this speech pattern, not by trying to clean up old words or words that they've mispronounced wrong, words they've said incorrectly or words that contain an error for a long time. I get better luck with introducing new syllable shapes when I, I pick out completely new words. Words that a child understands, but that he's never ever tried to say before. And again, this is because we are helping them develop a new motor plan. And so sometimes we, we've talked about in previous shows, we can start with old words and kind of clean them up because they're more functional. The child already tries to use it. He's, he's familiar with it. You've got lots of opportunities to practice because he already tries to say it. But when we are trying to get a child to develop new syllable shapes, I've found for me, with the kids that I've seen with this, it's better just to go get a whole new word so that they can, uh, again, we're adding, lot, uh, we're adding that variety there. So keep that in mind. Sometimes I do sort of keep a language focus on it though, and they'll, uh, if, if they're saying, if I'll try to pick something that they're trying to communicate and think, okay, what would be a new word that I can pick here and select that would mean uh, the same thing that they're trying to say? The example that I give in functional phonology is teaching a word, even that's complicated, like, a, like if a child always says go or bye-bye or swing, he might say C for swing or E, whatever his, his word happens to be there. But I think, oh, you know, we're trying to get new syllable shapes here. Let me come up with a different word. I might introduce the word outside. And, and it's got two syllables there. It starts with a vowel. And however he says it, if he's been a kid who doesn't really use a lot of words that start with vowels or he doesn't use a lot of multisyllabic words, you know, even if he ends up saying ow, side for that or out I I know that I've got you know two different vowels here he's changing the vowel from syllable to syllable and again I'm looking for variety so that's going to be different than the consonant vowel pattern that he used for go or by or even bye bye so again my point here isn't that we're going for perfection my point is that we are increasing variety so think about that think about how you can how you can teach some new syllable shapes one other thing that I recommend uh, for therapists and for parents is just to get yourself a great vocabulary list and I've got a super one at teachmetotalk.com and you can search it there at the website just by looking uh, putting in the top search bar vocabulary development for toddlers and you can get this great chart it's from let's talk about talking which was um, which is a therapy manual of mine and it lists oh I don't even know how many words are on this list but really really common vocabulary for toddlers and so if you are looking for new syllable shapes and new words to, to make sure that you're introducing new syllable shapes, start with just a great language list and think, does this child say this? Does he say this? Does he need this word? Would this word be a good one to teach him? How could I teach this? Let me ask mom, if you're a therapist, let me ask mom, you know, let's go through this list together and, and let's take a, his language need and let's pair it with this speech goal and see what we can come up with kind of working there uh, sort of on that hybrid approach and see if you can get some new words that way. But sometimes it's hard to sort of sit down and think about what word could this be? You know, even if you're trying to look from a real functional perspective, what words does this kid need? Sometimes the list will get you going and help you and mom, if you're a therapist, stay on the same page. Or if you're a mom trying to do this yourself, you just may need some different ideas to get you started with that. So get a, get a vocabulary list, which is kind of your language approach, and then pair it with, let me see what a, a, a word might be that I can teach here that this child knows that's a different syllable shape. So that's another way to do that too. Okay, so in functional phonology, one of the things that I did when I was writing this manual and one of the things that I try to do in the, the my real life <laughs> or with the children that I see that I'm actually their speech pathologist is 
use facilitative context. And what that means is we are going to do everything we can to help a child learn how to produce the correct sound. And so facilitative context means that you are going to pair where the adjoining sounds are made in the mouth. So pair consonants that are made at the front of the mouth with vowels that are made at the front of the mouth or consonants and vowels made at the middle of the mouth and the back of the mouth. You're gonna pair those and, and look for real words that contain those sounds because that is going to make it much more likely that there's no error or much more likely that this child produces that sound correctly. And so I pulled words from a lot of different resources doing this and I've, I have kept a list for a long time with that and when I find a word that works, I try to think, you know, gosh, theoretically, is, should that be on this list or not? And so in functional phonology, you've got a great list of the earliest patterns that we talked about uh, vowel, 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 so words like uh-oh. We didn't talk about that as an early pattern, but it's certainly prevalent in the, uh, that word is prevalent in the vocabularies of toddlers. And then we talked about consonant, vowel, vowel, consonant, vowel, consonant, vowel, consonant, vowel, consonant, CV, CV, same consonant, CVC, different consonant, CVCV, different consonants, and then more, um, three-syllable words, CV, CV, CV. We talked about those kinds of things. Um, and so I've got a word list here is what I'm trying to say, what I'm sort of scrambling to say here. And you can get that from functional phonology, but I wanna just talk about some of these early words so that you can introduce these today. If you are a therapist or a parent and you're thinking, boy, I need to get moving on this. This is why, primarily why this child is unintelligible. So the easiest consonant vowel words to produce, and again, if you are getting this, taking this course for continuing education credit, if you're a therapist and you need a certificate of completion for this, when you pay your $5 to get that, that processing fee, you always get a handout for the information contained in this show. And so this list will be in that handout. And so it may behoove you, even if you don't need the certificate of completion, to go ahead and complete that process so that you can have access to these word lists. And so the easiest patterns here, consonant vowel, your target words, me, day, two, and almost everybody that I work with when I start working with them is two. <laughs> so that's a great target word there. P, oh gosh, potty words when children are learning to uh, toilet train. So prevalent in the, the everyday vocabularies for toddlers and their parents. Bow, like a hair bow. Knee, no, again, another really important word for toddlers. Boo, be, woe, toe, high, and by. So those are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. Thirteen target words for consonant vowel. And again, these words were were also uh, selected because they are functional. And so you can come up with a reason that a child would need to learn that word. And remember, with toddlers, we're we're not going to use the same kind of approach that we do with when we are working on a phonological approach with or with a child with phonological disorders when they're older we might use flashcards or we might use an app and just sit and drill and drill and drill with toddlers we don't really do that we have to we have to make it functional we have to put it in the context of their everyday life or or have a toy or set up an activity where they have to really learn how to use that word and then we practice and teach them that word within the activity. It is really, really, really um, just such a no-brainer to me not to use a lot of flashcards and not to use a lot of apps for, for really our youngest children or our kids who are still, who may be five or six, but who are still in this developmental range, still developmentally or as a parent might think mentally, there's still two or three. This is gonna make the most sense to really practice these words, not in that drill, um, fashion with doing flashcards but or, or even an app but to get it into real life so f get yourself some toys and some activities or some some things like I said you know asking a little friend how old are you 
two, you know, what's your name and how old are you are the most common questions that any toddler's asked once he gets outside his home. And so practicing that, and parents love that, that their children can say how old they are because everybody asks that question. So that's a great way to practice that. And certainly you can look at that list as a parent or as a therapist and come up with ways that you can practice those earliest consonant vowel words uh, with the vowels paired with the consonants that should make that easier for a child to produce. All right, let's talk about some vowel consonant words where the vowel comes first and there's a consonant at the end. The best words to facilitate that are up, on, out, in, eat, arm, and ouch. So all super, super functional words. So so that would be uh, great. And, and you know, I'm going to say on next show... We'll talk about uh, final consonants. And so sometimes when you have a child who can't do final consonants, who's not including final consonants, sometimes it does make more sense to start where the final consonant is the only consonant in the word. And so we're practicing that vowel consonant pattern. That doesn't always work, but for some kids it does. And we talked about, too, we talked about these kinds of words from back in the last show when we were discussing uh, facilitating correct vowel sounds. So another great list there. Up, on, out, in, eat, arm, and ouch. All right, so next pattern, vowel, consonant vowel. These are words like open, apple, oh no, oh boy, okay. And so we have one consonant there, but we have a vowel at the beginning and a vowel at the end. So another new pattern there. With consonant, vowel, consonant, when we're starting with that pattern, and we'll talk more about this next show in the final consonant show, but this also, because we're getting going for variety here, you could also sort of start to work on this with some kids. Use words that have the same consonant at the beginning and at the end, because that makes it easier. They don't have to switch that consonant sound. So words like mom, dad, bib, which lots of two and three-year-olds are still wearing bibs, tot, uh, and I use that like tater tot. <laughs> a lot of parents call it like that. Toot, that's the sound that um, when a kid passes gas, he, you could use that word for that. Or that's the sound that a boat might make. Toot, toot, pop, poop. Again, potty words. Can't go wrong with that. Peep, uh, none, which is not fantastic vocabulary-wise, but it's there. Noon, again, a not a great vocabulary word but it's there and then nine if a kid is a counter and really is kind of obsessed with numbers that's that's another great target word consonant vowel consonant same consonant there we're going to talk about this list when we when we get ready to talk about our next pattern which is changing uh, the vowel sound from syllable to syllable but mommy daddy Papa, baby, cookie, puppy, boo-boo, like you've gotten hurt, and bye-bye. And then lots of CBC words where we're, we have the, the consonant. We're not keeping it the same consonant, but we're keeping it made at the same place in your mouth. And so look at this word list and help uh, get yourself some, um, some theory here <laughs> to help children produce that uh, sound correctly and get, get all the sound, right sounds in the right places. And so uh, I like having a word of, with facilitative context there because again, I know that I have a much higher rate of success with those kinds of words um, than other words. All right, so that was our fourth pattern. That was uh, getting children to have a variety of syllable shapes. And let me just mention too, we don't really get to talk about this on the show because of limited time and you just can't talk about everything right but if you need activity ideas to work on that pattern you can certainly get that from functional phonology and especially if you are new to working with toddlers if you're a therapist if early intervention is a new population for you and you haven't had lots of success sometimes it is the activities that you're trying or the materials you're trying it's not necessarily your goal so get yourself uh, the book so that you can get uh, uh, some additional ideas and give you some different starting places with what you could do with that. All right, so troubleshooting ideas. What do you do if a kid really can't get it? A lot of times, I'm gonna tell you what I do, I wait. <laughs> and I think I'm gonna give this child a little bit more time to mature, especially if they're still not three, three and a half yet. I'm gonna wait a little bit. I'm gonna back up and focus on my language goals. 
and see what I can get going there. Or um, I, I'm just going to make it easier. I'm just going to back up to that very earliest list and see if I can't get the see if I can't get just the easiest targets going. The other thing that we can do is, and we talked about this on previous shows, is really start auditory bombardment. So the the listening list, so that the parents or you as a therapist in therapy are reading those lists, and so that children are really getting constant exposure to what those new patterns are. And so when we're working on syllable shapes, you kind of think, well, isn't everyday conversation a variety of syllable shapes? Absolutely. But sometimes when we take just this really, really focused approach and we use the listening list to really, really, really hone in on what pattern it is that we're targeting, you're going to have better success. And it doesn't work for every child, but certainly for some kids it's made a difference. All right, let's move on to the fifth priority pattern here. And we've talked about it a little bit. This is switching the vowel from syllable to syllable. So meaning words like mommy, daddy, where that diminutive form is there. And that's that's what we first start with when we, uh, the developmentally appropriate uh, target words for toddlers, and we'll get there in a minute. I'm jumping ahead of ahead of myself, but it just means that there's a vowel change between the first syllable and the second syllable. And kids with apraxia have a terrible time with this, have a terrible time with motor planning, with getting um, a, a, another vowel, two different vowel sounds in there. So that's kind of some diagnostic information as well. Uh, kids with, a, with dysarthria can have that, and certainly kids with phonological uh, disorders can have that as well, and even kids with a speech delay. And we haven't really talked about um, speech delay, but remember delay always means that there's just a problem with time. And so kids are, there's no other real diagnosis other than they're just slower. They're just slower to acquire developmental milestones. There's just a delay there. And so there's speech sounds. You know, you can have a motor delay where there's nothing really going on with the musculature other than they're just slow to slow to mature, slow to develop, just slower than we would like. And so that can certainly um, that can certainly happen too. All right, so switch vowels from syllable to syllable. So when should toddlers work on this pattern? Well, it's when they don't use different vowel sounds within the same word. And sometimes, like we talked about at the beginning with pattern four, when all their words sound the same. Sometimes this is what's happened, and I did mention this before, especially with kids with apraxia. When we increase the complexity, meaning that they are trying to go from single words to phrases or from two word phrases to longer phrases, sometimes things just fall apart and they do start to simplify and they can't get all the right sounds in the right places. And so this is where we really, really, really might see a problem because uh, we, we've made it too hard with too many syllables, too many demands on their sequencing ability. So that's why kids with apraxia or motor planning issues wouldn't be able to really um, change their vowels from syllable to syllable. Toddlers don't need to work on this pattern when they have, they're including different vowel sounds in this word, uh, in the same word. And also we talked about this with the, with, uh, variety of syllable shapes. If they don't have multisyllabic words, you're working at a level that's way too hard for them. Go back and really work on syllableness at an easier, earlier developmental level. And I gave you a lot of target words for that back in show 377. So go back and master that pattern first and then hop up here and work on uh, this harder pattern. All right, and I talked before about okay so let's let me just say one more time if you're a parent and you're trying to decide does my child change vowels from syllable to syllable the best way to do it is we've already talked about it you're just going to transcribe what the child says exactly how he says it to the best of your ability so that you can see if it's a word like elmo does he have an eh and an o <laughs> for a word like cookie does he have an u uh, and an E there for cookie. For a word like yellow, does he have an E and an O? Um, mommy, does he have the A and the E? If he has two different vowel sounds in that word, again, I would just, if I were doing this with a mom, I would just count it as plus or minus. Did he do it or did he not do it? And that's how I would really judge this with accuracy as far as a little screening or an early assessment for this pattern. Okay, so what do we do? What do we start with? Well, we, I've already jumped ahead of myself and talked about this a lot, but I really like to start with 
very familiar words that target this pattern. So, uh, in many cases, the child is already using a lot of these words, so it's going to be easier than working. Uh, it's, it's just, it's, the, these are familiar words is what I'm trying to say. And so these are words that he hears all the time. And sometimes kids are already saying a version of this word. So they're already saying mama. And we can transition them to say mommy. Now sometimes kids will hang on to it. We've talked about that. How it's their overlearn pattern. It's going to be super, super hard to change it. But this diminutive form works <laughs> for toddlers and and again it's it's just because it's a developmental thing so words like mommy daddy puppy baby tummy ducky doggy kitty horsey now i've read a lot with children with autism that you really don't want to treat you really don't want to use this as one of your treatment goals because then they start to use a diminutive pattern for everything so then they start to say for car they start to say here's my cari or here's my bali watch that but but and if you have a kid who's so highly echolalic that that would that would make a difference for you, you might want to stay away from this but otherwise this is a really really easy pattern and i like this too because the vowel at the end is always e so it's easier i sort of think of these as kind of an anchor word or an anchor pattern it's easier if the child can can doesn't have to change the first and the second part and he's already doing that anyway because it's a vowel but you're making your last vowel you're keeping it the same from word to word so mommy daddy puppy so you can see that too and those are those are like that's called a word shell in addition to me kind of thinking of it as an anchor pattern here but a word shell and so um, it's again it's going to be easier and so let me just say one more time this can backfire on you so be careful you don't want a kid always putting that e on the end of it so just think about how likely he is to be able to overgeneralize that and and if you don't want to cause more problems for yourself so think about that too i also like targeting changing the vowel from word to word with the most relaxed fun way by doing it with exclamation or exclamatory words and animal sounds and so words like I, I do it a lot with these kinds of words like uh oh no way oh man ah boom ah chew and ding dong so get out your little list from uh, building verbal imitation and toddlers and look at that list there your list of exclamatory words there and look at that chart and get yourself some new ideas with that even animal sounds like meow uh, even the, even things that are hard that are multisyllabic like cockadoodle do those are fun targets for toddlers so think about how you can work that into something that a child already likes backward chaining that we talked about in one of the previous shows is also a way to help a child learn to switch the vowel and the next syllable and this is where we practice the last syllable of a word first and then we chain it to the first syllable and sometimes this is really new for parents because we are thinking about always thinking about starting at the beginning or starting at the with the first sound and sometimes we over practice a first sound if a child is saying uh, let's say he's saying dote for goat we might make a big deal about saying go 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 goat when that's incorrect because the the vowel sound isn't uh for goat it's oh so you might really uh, again talk about that with parents talk about how backward chaining would be a better way to get this uh, pattern established and so let's use an example let's use the word mommy so if we're trying to get a kid to switch from uh, to, to learn how to say mommy you would practice me me say me tell me me mommy say mommy and you kind of sneak that first syllable in so that's the most effective way sometimes speed is what helps really with backward chaining that you're really kind of popping that in there uh, a word I use for this all the time is cheese ball and I've done it for a long time uh, when I had a play group program back in 2002 to 2000 four or five we we served a lot of cheese balls and so we practiced that a lot you know ball 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 cheese ball and you you sneak it in there after you've had three or four productions and it works really 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 well and so that's another strategy that we can use uh, for this teaching this new speech pattern too 
Um, one thing, too, that I do here is I really talk with parents about using a sing-song voice and slower models of the word. And we just talked about how going faster works for backward chaining. But sometimes really elongating that vowel can help some kids, especially, I think, the, the, the position that they've mispronounced. So, mommy, daddy. And so you are changing the prosody there. You know, kids sound a I've joked with parents before, they sound a little French instead of English or American, but, but do that because sometimes that changing that uh, emphasis on the syllable will help a kid get it, and then you can normalize that. You don't want to over-practice that, but you're just doing that to emphasize. And again, some of these tweaks work better for some children than others, uh, and so you'll just have to experiment to see what works uh, best with that child. From a language perspective, when I have a kid that can't that's really struggling to get this, especially when we have children who, again, their intelligibility really falls apart at when they start to do these longer utterances, or, or, and this is a better example, with a kid who can't get, uh, who, who has so many sequencing problems that he really uh, is struggling to be understood, and, and he doesn't even use a lot of phrases because his intelligibility just falls apart, really back that up to practice something that's super functional so a lot of times I'll put the word my with all of his favorite toys or even with a puzzle so that if we're sitting there and we're we let's say we have a puzzle of transportation items or or even let's say we have um Let's say we have a Thomas the Train set. And so, I'll, you know, my Choo Choo, my Thomas, my James, you know, whatever the characters are. Or back to the puzzle idea. If it's a puzzle of animals, my dog, my cat, my bird, um, you know, whatever, whatever it happens to be there so that you can really practice. And again, remember we said that anchor position where everything is not changing. And that would be a good example when you're when a kid... When you've got a kid maybe using, uh, we talked about that diminutive pattern where we're working on mommy, daddy, a ducky, bunny, go back. And, and you can use this kind of at the phrase level to target the same goal, but your, your first syllable is the one that doesn't change. So, you know, my boat, my truck, my shoe, my hair, my nose. Those would be really kind of fun things that you could do with toddlers. And, and again, it's not so hard because you've kept the same pattern. And those kinds of little games are super fun for toddlers too. And they're, a, they're great to teach parents because parents can carry that over. And they remember these things. And then they get additional practice. All right, so I've provided in functional phonology the same kinds of word list that we just talked about for... Um, variety of syllable shapes and let me just share some of these earliest targets uh, that we talked about before and we, we talked about um, I've given you some of these words already but let me go ahead and talk about another couple of words like all gone all done and uh-oh those, those are those are great functional words that parents can use and those make a lot of sense to parents and you can talk about why you would practice those kinds of words and then these next target words, and these are all facilitative context. And remember, um, these are the easiest for toddlers to pronounce based on where the pronounce the correct vowel sounds due to their structure in this fixed syllable pattern. And we're going to begin with these words. And fixed syllable means it's like we were talking about with the word shells. We're only going to change part of the word. We're not going to change all the word if we're working on a word list like this. So... Um, Words that end in a PPY, so puppy, TP, happy. And so you a happy puppy game would be really, really fun for a toddler to do. Is your puppy happy? Oh, no, he's sad. Let's make him happy. We want a happy puppy. So you can do all kinds of things with that. And just put on your thinking cap there and, you know, think, what, what can I do to play this game with this child? What are some things we can do? What are my props that I'll need? How How... You know, how much sense is this going to make to mom to carry over? Is she going to be able to remember this? And and so those are good those are good things to do with that. You could get uh, words that end in the in B like baby, maybe words that end in a bowl pattern: bubble, pebble, table, bumble, tumble. 
So a bubble and table, you can certainly practice those two words together and that would be awesome. We talked about the words that end in me. So mommy, tummy, yummy, give me for like give me, gummy, gummy bears. That would be real fun. You know, give this gummy to mommy. Where's your gummy going? It's going in your tummy. Um, and, and it's so yummy. The gummy is yummy in your tummy. You can certainly make all those things make sense and work out. A D pattern for Buddy, Daddy, Woody, you know, the new Toy Story movie. You can totally do that. Uh, Teddy, that's another one there. Words that end in key, cookie, monkey. I practice those together a lot. Feed monkeys cookies. <laughs> and again, you're building in your repetition because you're using the same couple of target words there. Other ones that are there, hokey pokey. If you have a kid that will do that dancing with you, a kid that's real busy, that you need that extra movement activity, that would be a great activity to use. If you're seeing kids in a little group setting and you're working on that, hokey pokey would be fantastic. It's also good for initial vowels there. Uh, and you're, you're, um, I, I just, that would be a cute, really cute activity. So do the hokey pokey and work on that. And then words that end in knee. So pony, bunny, money, and honey. And, and really get creative with how you can work on these things. Please avoid that rote drill with, uh, flashcards or apps like we already talked about. Get yourself some real objects. And again, it, it needs to make a enough sense for a parent to want to practice it. But it doesn't have to make complete sense in an adult world for you to get a kid to say it over and over and over and over. And I've sort of gone off about drill. And, and what I mean by drill is when you're sitting there and you're having a child just produce the same word over and over and over with very little interruption or very little distraction and doing other things. And that, that is what we need to do for kids with motor planning issues, for kids that really need that additional practice. But for toddlers, the best thing is going to be setting it up in the context of a play routine where they have to say the word to get to do the next activity. Like if we were going back and we, we were working on this target and I thought, okay, for whatever reason this kid can do, let's practice this key pattern. And so cookie and monkey. And if we, we had a, a toy monkey there or a book that he liked. If we had uh, the five little monkeys jumping on the bed, and so what? What I would do is take a cookie, and and he would. We would just say that over and over with, you know, him asking me to see for a cookie, and then, are you going to feed this monkey or that monkey? And him really saying monkey, and then we feed it again, and we go to the next page and we feed it. And so you you know you can get sometimes ten, fifteen, twenty. 25 productions just with insisting that he say it again but keep it fun keep it um, just as entertaining as you can you know sometimes we really do have to put on a show <laughs> in early intervention <laughs> so that a kid stays with us and gets enough of that practice and so again being repetitive and the drill portion of that does not mean that you have to sit and or even do it in an ABA like fashion where the kid says the word and you give him a cookie and the kid says the word and you know you give him whatever treat you're doing you don't have to do that you can still get a lot of repetitions within the context of a play activity and especially if you really again took some time to plan your sessions where you were thinking how you know how can I make all these words fit what are what are some things that I can do if I'm working on the bull pattern up there bubble table bumble tumble how how what are some things what are some creative ways that I can do it or if you're going to a family's home and you think well they have this or they have that what are, do they have this you know is this even realistic can can we pull this off let me talk to mom about a week or two from now this is the pattern we need to work on so let's brainstorm here and come up with what they already have so that we can make this activity, even when we're working on something as boring as speech intelligibility or our tick or phonology or however you want to think about it, how, how can we make this work? How can we make this real for a family? So you, you um, think about that kind of thing. All right, so let's kind of go back and let me give you some uh, additional ideas here. Other things that I do, especially for this pattern, is always pair, and, and I forgot to say this in the last pattern too, pair a motor movement with your syllables so that a kid really has an opportunity to feel that syllable change, like we were talking about in the last um, 
in the last pattern or to if, if especially if you're contrasting it with an air pattern or especially in this pattern feel that new uh, feel that new pattern and again hold that um, word shell there hold that fixed syllable pattern that's what I was looking for hold it there and so when you're working again on those words we talked about cookie monkey sometimes it really does help to pair a clap with that or pair a jump with that or or whatever and again that may not be terribly functional and that there may not be a way for you to always work that out but you, you pairing a motor movement with that more difficult um, verbalization or more difficult vocal pattern verbal pattern there sometimes can help that as well uh, <laughs> One really fun activity that you can do when you're teaching changing uh, vowels from syllable to syllable is just pretend to be various animals. And so just as you're crawling around on the floor or pretending that you're hopping, you know, the first time you're a turtle and the second time you're a kitty and then you're a monkey and then you're a horsey and you can alternate your speed and again, that would be a way to make all these different target words, kind of pull them all together in one specific activity. And kid, toddlers love that. They're always pretending like they're one animal or another. The key is you've got to get them to say the animal sound. It can't just always be you as the mom or you as the therapist. You've got to get them to say the animal name. You've got to get them to actually pronounce the word um, so that you are hearing again that change there. And that would also work for the last goal that we talked about for um, a variety of syllable shapes just to pretend like you're different animals there. You know, now I'm a dog. Uh, now I'm a kitty. Now, you know, what, whatever, whatever your animal happens to be. And sometimes kids will sort of gravitate, especially let's, let's say they've gone to the zoo. They have a recent experience of going to the zoo. And so you really could think, okay, this is a perfect opportunity. Let me figure out how I can work my intelligibility goals in here and what can we talk about. And, and be sure when you're doing that you're, that you're giving that some thought and that you're thinking, thinking about it and that you're talking to parents about it and you're saying, this is what our goal is, and we're going to pair this with a language, his, his uh, language outcome as well. You know, we're increasing his vocabulary. We're helping him increase his utterance length. But here's our speech sound or our speech intelligibility focus here too. And we're trying to get him to say lot, a variety of syllable shapes. And so I was thinking, y'all just went to the zoo. So let's, let's think about the animals that he saw at the zoo. And maybe mom took pictures. Maybe that's what you're going to do. But sit and kind of flip through the phone and, and think about, you know, we, we saw the elephants. We saw the lion. We saw the monkey. Um, you know, we saw the polar bear. And think about those things and think about how you, what you can do and, you know, from a whole language approach. And I, I think, I think that's still common terminology. We were looking at, you know, what, what's, how can we include this as kind of an overall focus? Are we, are we teaching some signs with it too? In addition to our speech intelligibility, will that help this kid be able to hold on to that word and again express himself? Even if he, you know, it's kind of another compensation too to help for those speech intelligibility problems. But you know, will you know how maybe even pairing that motor movement with it will help with some of these. Um, with some of these challenges, these sequencing challenges or, or getting the right sense in the right places. So that's certainly something you can do too. Another thing that I don't think I've talked about during this series in the last show or two is this thing I call a smack and say routine. And it's just one of the dumbest things that I have ever come up with. And it doesn't work with every child. <laughs> but for some kids and for the kids that we are having to do a lot of, uh, drill or that repetitive practice and if they will do these kinds of things to really get an imitation routine going it's just that you're gonna you make up a, just a silly game where I do it on a table or with a high chair tray or a ball or even the floor or my lap and boy do they love hitting my legs when we're doing that and it's just what our target word is is that they're just gonna say whatever the word is so if we're doing puppy happy uh, baby, mommy, where I do, I pat, and then he says the word and pats. And it's just that back and forth thing. And again, you've made it real fun. You put that motor movement with it. And once a kid likes that kind of game, you can do it a lot. Now, I have had some toddlers that end up sort of wanting to hit all the time or, you know, and 
you take the good with the bad. And so you, you, you know, you would, if you think that you're going to have a kid that's going to be super aggressive with that, don't start out by teaching them to hit your legs. <laughs> you know, do the table or do the side of the bathtub if you're a parent whatever you know you know your own kid or you know the kid you're working with and you know what's going to work and not work those little smack and say routines I I can get a lot of kids to practice a word list when again it's not super functional and I've already made sure that we target the word in language activities where we're using words that they that they know what they mean and it's not like nonsense practice but at the same time we're getting that fast imitation going and that really again helps kids with that motor planning aspect and with that sequence as sequencing aspect we we get them revved up and we keep them going that way all right so i think that's going to be it for today i hope i've given you enough to think about and enough to get started with Check out the word list that I'm going to give you if you purchase the CE credit for that because that's that's where your real uh, bonus is going to be for taking this course is getting the words that are already in those facilitative contexts. And let me just say too, the patterns that we talked about today, using a variety of syllable shapes and switching the vowel from syllable to syllable. For those of us who focus on language all the time, this is hard stuff. <laughs> this is more technical and more speech driven than some of us ever, ever, ever want to be. But for some children, it's absolutely necessary to get them to the point where they're, uh, what they're trying to say is understood by other people. And that's our whole point here. Don't forget that you can get this book, Functional Phonology, uh, from Teach Me to Talk and get those word lists too and get all those developmentally appropriate activities for toddlers to make this even more successful for your own child or for a whole caseload of uh, little kids that you're seeing. All right, that's it for today. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech-language pathologist, and you have just watched or listened to Teach Me to Talk, the podcast.